Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics. Hi, I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. The first fact sheet we will discuss today is titled Adolescents, Adults with Developmental Disabilities, Employment. Employment should be the expected outcome for all adolescents and young adults with intellectual and or developmental disabilities. The fact sheet outlines the various types of employment. Make sure you are familiar with these definitions. They are sheltered workshops, segregated day programs, competitive integrative employment, and self-employment. Sheltered workshops provide employment opportunities to individuals in a protective environment under an institutional program. Segregated day program employment occurs within a day program. Participants in workshops or day programs often perform piecemeal and or contract work and are too often earning sub-minimal wages. Competitive integrated employment refers to community-based employment opportunities. Self-employment is another option for individuals with ID or DD. Competitive integrative employment should always be the goal for all individuals. PTs and PTAs have a role to assist with employment acquisition. For starters, students with a school-based individualized education program require formal transition planning to begin by the age of 16. This can include individualized goals related to future independent living, education, and employment. Making sure the plan includes individualized goals, skills, and potential limitations, customizing practice or actual work environments, training in using appropriate assistive technology, addressing any mobility, self-care, or transportation issues, promoting health and wellness, consulting with family members, teachers, employers, and other rehab providers, and participating in advocacy initiatives. The fact sheet outlines three types of support methods that may enhance and facilitate employment success. These include environmental, procedural, and natural. Environmental support methods may include physical structures, surroundings, or objects, such as automatic door openers, elevators, or signage. Procedural support methods can include individualized actions or activities, such as flex time or other schedule adjustments. Natural support methods can incorporate options readily available to all, such as ride shares. The fact sheet then outlines two great examples to incorporate these ideas into real-world applications.
The next fact sheet is titled Adolescents, Adults with Developmental Disabilities, Healthcare Issues. Life expectancy of children with intellectual and or developmental disabilities has improved dramatically over the last 30 years. And although many diagnoses are non-progressive, adults experience an increased risk for health issues. The fact sheet outlines areas of potential health and wellness issues like musculoskeletal or orthopedic issues, metabolic or endocrine issues, nutritional intake and elimination issues, genitourinary issues, and subjective complaints of fatigue and difficulty with sleep, and psychosocial adaptations. The presence of musculoskeletal or orthopedic problems can be a catalyst for other problems. Things like musculoskeletal deformities, osteoporosis or osteopenia, inactivity, pain, changes in spasticity or spasm all need to be considered. You may also see metabolic or endocrine issues such as early onset metabolic syndrome, early onset diabetes, coronary artery disease, and high cholesterol. Nutritional intake and elimination problems due to poor hydration and nutrition compounded by the lack of physical activity, reflux, and bladder and bowel control. Genitourinary problems from childhood may be exacerbated or new ones may arise. Perceived chronic fatigue due to the level of exertion necessary to perform daily activities may be a problem. And last, you may see challenges with psychosocial adaptation due to things like lack of employment or lack of independent living. The fact sheet outlines these things in more depth, and I think it really helps build the knowledge beyond just pediatrics. Physical therapists can assist adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities in meeting health goals by developing safe physical exercise programs, identifying community resources, and assisting with adaptive equipment and positioning. Next, we are going to go over independent living in adolescents and adults with developmental disabilities. A developmental disability is a mental and or physical impairment that manifests before the age of 22 years throughout the person's lifetime. Intellectual disability is a limitation in general mental capacity or adapted behavior. Most persons with IDD live in home settings, but some live in long-term settings such as group homes, foster care, supervised apartments, supported living, and personal assistance. I personally know two adults with Down syndrome who live in a supervised apartment, and it's really cool to see how they interact. They live with an aide, and it's very cool how independent they can be. Community-based service systems, which are accessible to families in their natural environments, are now considered best practice and promote the best outcomes. The fact sheet then goes on to describe the role of the physical therapist for those with IDD. We as physical therapists evaluate independent self-care, independent mobility, access to leisure and fitness activity, participation in education, and participation in vocational opportunities. We also determine what types of assistive technology and environmental modifications may be needed in order to support mobility needs, community living, recreational choices, and educational and vocational choices. We also promote health and wellness of persons with IDD by designing and individualizing community-based physical activity and fitness programs 
preventing secondary conditions, and promoting healthy behaviors. There are some examples in the fact sheet listed to illustrate our role. Something to remember as well is that persons with IDD, caretakers, and families can access physical therapy services in their community. We as PTs working in all settings should be prepared to provide high quality services that accommodate the specialized needs of persons with IDD. Best practice also considers the promotion of community-based service systems and community integration for this population. We need to make sure that we keep all of these things in mind because even though we focus on the pediatric population, kids with special needs eventually grow into adults with special needs. Therefore, we need to ensure that we are supporting them through all points of development, whether it be gross motor milestones or mobility to access a supported employment position. Next, we are going to go over the benefits of aquatic physical therapy for children. We may not all have the opportunity to use aquatic physical therapy in our practice, but the benefits are important to recognize. The reasons why aquatic therapy can be beneficial is because of the water's properties. The uniform support and fluid resistance of the water provides stability to the patient. Near zero gravity and buoyancy effectively reduce the patient's body weight, making it easier to move. Water provides continuous fluid, velocity-dependent uniform resistance to develop strength through larger ranges of motion. Constant pressure supports body awareness to improve brain-body connection. The multi-sensory environment can also stimulate alertness or it can be calming depending how the environment is used. Some populations that aquatic therapy may be beneficial for include cerebral palsy, children with respiratory impairment, and children with autism. Time and temperature is also important. Passive interventions may require water temperatures to be between 90 and 92 degrees. The length of time of interventions may last between 30 and 45 minutes according to research. Vertical suspension, prone, side-lying, and supine activities can be performed in the water. The fact sheet has some good information on what each position focuses on while in the water, so make sure you take a look at this. Flotation devices can also be used when necessary. If you would like additional information on aquatic physical therapy, MedBridge has a bunch of videos on the topic. Some of the information is beneficial, such as understanding the different properties of water, but some information is not as relevant to the test. MedBridge sure had a lot of information on aquatic therapy. And if you're going through that, just laugh with us about the test four in which had an excessive amount of aquatic therapy questions in which I didn't quite think fit the breakdown of what types of questions you were going to see on the actual exam. So if you're listening to that after you've taken that test four, you'll laugh with us. And if you haven't taken that yet, you will laugh in the future when you kind of approach that aquatic therapy session. I think it's very important, but I think MedBridge dove a little deep on that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it was 50% of the exam <laughs> was aquatic therapy questions that we were like, oh, wow, this is this is a lot of questions. Yeah, I actually feel like now looking back at this fact sheet that we just reviewed, I feel like this fact sheet is probably 
comprehensive enough to get you where you need to be with the aquatic therapy concepts. And if you haven't done all of the MedBridge stuff, you might just want to, you know, focus on something else. So yeah, I definitely agree that this fact sheet gave all of the pertinent information that MedBridge gave, but MedBridge gave a lot more information. It just wasn't as important, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. That's why we're here. We're trying to help you organize yourself a little bit. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next week. And remember, you totally got this.